With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No Block, No Rock, episode 25. Michael, what's the hobbies plug this week? Javi's Plug will keep it simple. If you haven't been to Javi's, go give it a try. They are located here in Omaha, Nebraska on 180th and Q Street and 176th and West Center. So if you haven't been to Javi's, go give it a try. God, I love it when you keep it simple, my friend. This week, we are taking it back to the old school. What do you mean old school, huh? Old, old school. Right? Okay. We're going back to the late 60s. We're talking about Husker Power. Woo! We have a special guest, his name. If you are a Husker fan, if you are a diehard, you probably know this name. His name is Boyd Epley. The godfather. The godfather of strength and conditioning. The godfather of Husker power. Hired on by Devaney in the late 60s. He was a little skeptical of him. But I'm pretty sure he warmed up to him when he saw the results. Yeah, I think the results were pretty clear. And <laughs> right. Boyd was the first paid strength coach in college athletics ever yeah so he paved the way for college sports as we know it as we know it today um but yeah let's let's go to that interview i think you guys will enjoy it joining us today we have the absolute pleasure this man has been called many things for instance the godfather of strength and conditioning he is known as the founder of husker power Lindy's Magazine recognized this man as one of the top 100 most important college football figures of the century and arguably the single most important individual in the history of strength and conditioning in college athletics. Boyd Epley, we want to thank you for your time and joining the No Block, No Rock podcast. Thanks for having me. Did I, did I add a little bit to your head there with all that, <laughs> that background? There's a lot of empty space in that head. So. <laughs> I'm you trying can to fill, fill it up how you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, just to start off with, we'll keep things pretty pretty up to date. So just recently, we hired Trev Alberts as our AD. And I just kind of wanted to get your impression of Trev Alberts as our new AD, kind of what makes a good AD, and what about Trev Alberts is going to make him be a great AD for Nebraska? Well, I think Trev was the best possible choice that they could have made. I'm very excited about it. When Trev was the athletic director at UNO, and I lived in Colorado Springs, uh, he hired me to come evaluate his program there. So I met with every single sport coach about a half an hour with each one. I think there's like 14 of them or something like that throughout the day. And um He's the kind of guy that cares and it's going to take time to get to the bottom of an issue and sort out what is the best possible answer. So far, I watched his introduction. He did a fabulous job there. From reading in the newspaper, it sounds like he did a fabulous job where the coaches are meeting right now. Um, and uh, 
He's already, they said, the paper said that he's already met with Coach Frost four times in four day, the first four days. But I think travel proved to, proved to all of us that he was the right choice. Yeah, and with, with Trev at Big Ten Media Days, it sounded like he made the best possible impression. You heard um, Frost say some pretty interesting things, like he had to do things outside of coaching that were probably, you know, they didn't fit what he was supposed to be doing. Like he couldn't coach, he couldn't focus on coaching as much. He had to take other responsibilities outside of it. So, you know, I don't know what your like opinion of Bill Moose is, but have you, have you met with Bill Moose? Have you talked to him? Like, what was your impression of Bill Moose as our AD? I thought Bill, Bill Moose was tremendous. He treated me with respect and when, uh, you know, he would do an annual uh, interview, you would go in and say, how's things going? And he'd listen to any new ideas that you had. And um, one day he said, well, how, how much longer would you like to go? And I said, I'd like to retire July 1st, 20, 2019. And that was 19 months uh, into the future. He said, okay, let's, let's make it happen. I also told him that I wanted to have some type of a celebration for our 50th anniversary of Husker Power. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let's put together a budget and we'll, uh, we'll make sure we do that. And he ended up giving me $35,000 for that event. We made some awards for each of the best athletes in Husker Power's opinion All right. from each sport. We honored one athlete from each sport. And for, for example, at quarterback, even though we had a great uh, Eric Crouch winning the Heisman Trophy at quarterback, I gave that award to Scott Frost because of his physical dominance at quarterback. When he was a senior and we went to do our performance testing on strength training, uh, the, the athletes were asked to pick a weight they thought they could do three or four times. And if they got five or six, that'd be great or one or two, you know, would be fine too. He chose 300 pounds for the hang clean and no quarterback had ever done that much before. He did it for 10 reps. Oh, (laughs) That was so impressive that you can't even imagine unless you saw it happen. And so based on that alone and the way he ran overpowered people, I mean, he was like Jeff Kinney when he ran, he ran over people. And so I, I gave the Husker Power 50-year award to Scott Frost. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you, you know, what was Frost like in the weight room? You know, I, I assume that you were around him all the time. And he was a very – he still is, like, a pretty imposing kind of figure. Like, his biceps are huge and his glutes are huge. <laughs> like, he's just a well-built guy. He's, yes. He always has been. Now, he, he probably was a, a linebacker type of a physique. Right. Uh, playing, but he was playing quarterback, but he could have been a tremendous linebacker as well. When I, I wrote a book um, and I asked if he would demonstrate the lifts in that book. And so sure enough, he did. And I'm very honored now that he, he has the position that he does and that I chose him to yeah. be the one that uh, demonstrated the exercises. So would you say that, uh, Scott Frost takes it pretty serious in the weight room then as far as uh, technique and everything working with Zach Duvall? 
and not only that, he knows what it takes in the weight room, and he trusts in Zach. Zach worked with him at uh, Central Florida, and they, they did a tremendous job down there with those athletes. And so Zach Duvall isn't the problem. The, they're doing a really good job in the weight room. And uh, I met with Mike Arthur, my longtime assistant, who, uh, who was just tremendous working with me. And <clears throat> he did a lot of really good things that I ended up getting credit for. And that, that's not fair, but it's just how it works. And Mike told me just the other day that he's excited, uh, particularly with the offensive line this year. And he's thinking that uh, the fans are going to be very impressed with the progress that Zach has made in the weight room. And people don't know about it because Zach doesn't do interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure why he's, he does that because I always thought that, you know, the fans need to kind of know where you're at, what to expect, good news or bad news. But he, he doesn't do interviews at all. At least he hasn't. And so no one really knows what a great job he's doing. Well, and I don't think you can really look the Scott Frost tenure. It's been pretty disappointing, honestly. But if you look at the line play, if you look at the O-line and D-line, I don't think you can deny that they've made significant gains in terms of their size and strength. I know there were a few exceptions last year with Minnesota and Illinois at times where it didn't really show up, but I don't, I think they've made tremendous gains on those sides of the ball. I don't know what your impression is of that, but. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's going to be even better this year. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're going to have a really tough schedule, but that's part of the game. Indeed. So it was in the paper earlier this year that Zach Duvall is starting to use your index, an index that was used when you were the strength coach here at Nebraska. Can you kind of talk about that and what that actually means for the listeners? Okay. Well, I think Zach has always used the index. He just wasn't releasing any of it to the media. Okay. And so when he did release it this year, the media didn't quite get it right because uh, he didn't take time to explain it to him because he doesn't do the interviews. But for example, uh, I read the Lincoln Journal and it had listed, uh, say, 10 players and it listed the vertical jump with the top score being how high they jumped. That's not the way the index works. So I know they had Cam Jurgens in there as being um, eighth place out of those 10 names. Mm -hmm. In reality, he was actually fifth based on body weight. And so if you're a, a recruit, you're going to want to uh, do well and impress the coaches as they're watching you in high school and playing games, but also how you do in the weight room to see what kind of potential you have. And so let's say you two, uh, one of you weighs 240 and the other one weighs 140. And you both have a vertical jump of 28 inches. You don't just look at the 28 inches. Right. And that's what, that's what people tend to do. It's how, how well does a big guy perform? Because that's the guy you want on the field. That's the guy you want in the weight room, the guy you want in the locker room, the guy you want on the team. And so the formula has to take into account the size of the person. So anyway, it ends up being a thousand points possible. And if you score a thousand points, it's basically the world record. And so over time, we've been able to determine 
that any high school athlete with a score above 500 or even near 500 is a scholarship athlete to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so we're, they usually end up scoring around four, five, four, 450, something like that. And they're really outstanding in high school. A 200, you're going to want to see more development there. Maybe they're only a sophomore. Okay, you keep an eye on them. But anyone over 500 points is somebody you're going to want representing you. Uh, and so back in uh, oh, the early 80s, we, we opened the West Stadium. There was storage under that stadium for years. But the storage folks, the job pool, it was called, the university maintenance people, welders, carpenters, electricians, and those folks, they moved out of the West Stadium closer to the railroad so they could have better deliveries. It just made more sense for them. And one day I saw uh, Bob Devaney. Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne were walking around looking at spaces. And they walked through the weight room, which was in the North Fieldhouse, Schulte Fieldhouse. And I said, what are you guys up to? And they go, well, we're looking for a place to put the visiting team locker room. Um, because there had been so many complaints about where it was over in the East Stadium. Almost every school would be complaining about how bad it was. So we walked into, I said, well, can I go with you? Look, just tag along. They said, sure, come on. So we walked around with this space wasn't good enough. This one wasn't big enough. We walked into the West Stadium and it was like 14,000 square feet. Well, the largest weight room in the country was 6,500 at the time. Oh. Oklahoma and Indiana both had 6,500. And our weight room was uh, originally 14, excuse me, originally it was 416 square feet. We immediately knocked a wall down and made it 1,300. And then we, when the football team moved to the South Stadium, got a nice new locker room. I got their locker room as part of the North Fieldhouse weight room. So we were at 2,700 compared to 6,500 on these other schools, some of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this 14,000 square foot space saying, to Coach Devaney, I would sure like to have this myself. And then you could put the visiting team in the weight room that we have, which used to be the varsity locker room. It's already got showers. It's already got the things that you would be interested in. He said, you would take this space because it was it was a terrible looking. It had, hadn't been painted probably for 30 years. And it had trash everywhere. And it was like walking into... A, a construction zone or something. I said, yes, if you'll give me some money to fix it up. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $200,000, but no new equipment. I go, well, I wasn't going to argue with that. I'll take what I could get. And I said, okay. So he put the visiting team in where the, the weight room was at the time. And I uh, got that big space and started painting it and fixing it up. And um, then I went to Coach Osborne and I said, Coach, we're going to need about $60,000 worth of new equipment in order to make sense out of this thing. And we'll have a fabulous facility. He says, just a minute, let me make a call. 
he comes back and he says, I got you 90,000. Oh, I said, oh. I said, Coach, I only needed 60. I only needed 60. And he said, you better go refigure that. And so I went and refigured it. Sure enough, it came out to 90,000. Wow. Okay. So we opened the largest weight room in the country under the West Stadium and enjoyed a lot of great recruiting as a result of it. One of the things that we did in there was we put in a, a record platform where people could get up on the platform and try to set a record for the team. And in doing that, we created a strength index also. So we talked a little bit about the performance index identifying talent. But if you want to improve that talent, you have to go to the weight room and get stronger. So when an athlete improves their strength index, it then improves the performance index also. So they work hand in hand. And uh, we didn't sell those uh, for the years that I was there until very late in my career. But those both are available at boydeply.com in case somebody was interested. Okay. And so this story that you just told, uh, getting this space, I take it this was in 1969? No, no, no. No, that was about 81. Okay, that was 81. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's take it back to 69, if you don't mind. Okay, Um, sure. How did you come to connect with Coach Devaney and even get hired at Nebraska in the first place? All right. I had come to Nebraska from Phoenix, Arizona as a junior college uh, pole vaulter. I'd set the National Junior College pole vault record, got a full scholarship to Nebraska to pole vault. And I went in the weight room and I was really disappointed because in Arizona, they the athletes were lifting weights at my high school and also at my junior college. But here I was at the University of Nebraska and they had a weight room, but it was used more as a kind of an offshoot from the athletic training room where the trainers would treat injuries. And so the people that went in there usually had a little something wrong with them. They were trying to rehab, but I was going in there to train and it had one Olympic bar and which had 400 pounds of weights. And that's all that we had for free weights. They had five dumbbells. You know, usually dumbbells are in pairs. They had five dumbbells. (laughs) (laughs) And they had a universal gym. And it was 416 square feet. Uh, You know, about the size of a nice bedroom. (laughs) So I would go over to the student weight room in the Coliseum basement. And neither one of these facilities allowed women. The way the field house was set up, if you walked in the front door, you might see naked guys walking around to get there. They had this, what was called a roll, clean t-shirt, shorts and socks and so forth. And they would turn it in and get it from right in the center, right where you came in the door. That's where you'd see these guys getting their clean roll each day. And uh, the freshman locker room was one direction and the varsity locker room was the other direction. And then in the Coliseum, women weren't allowed in the basement. That was also a big open area uh, where the weight room was that opened up into a men's locker room. So I was able to get both of those corrected over time because that wasn't right. In fact, I met my wife 
in that student weight room years later after I got that fixed. There we go. <laughs> so that so that was a good thing. Wise wise move. <laughs> yeah. But, so I'm over there lifting in the student weight room, and then once in a while I'd lift in the football weight room. And uh, Tom Osborne, his office was in that building in the Coliseum upstairs, and so he he would be coming down there for whatever reason, and he he bumped into me a couple of times and said hi, and and then he'd see me over in the football weight room also because he showed video to his players. Excuse me, they didn't have video then; it was actual film. He showed film to the players in that weight room um each afternoon for about a half an hour before they went out on the practice field and and so what um you had the athletic training room this little weight room and on the other side was a classroom that he was using once a day um so anyway he he called me one day and uh he called the athletic trainer and the trainer came into the weight room and said, Epley, you got a phone call. I said, who would that be? I, you know, here I am, I'm a pole vaulter. Nobody knows who I am. I'm here from Arizona. Basically, I'm thinking this to myself, who would that be? He says, Tom Osborne, get in here. And so I went in and took the call. I was kind of scared to death that I'd done something wrong. I didn't know what that would be, but he said, this is Tom Osborne. And uh, I've noticed that you spend a lot of time in the weight room and I'm wondering if you would mind helping, uh, helping some of the football players. He said, could you come over to my office? And I thought maybe I was in trouble or something. So I went over there and he had Cletus Fisher, the offensive line coach in the room. He was, uh, there as well. And they basically said, we, you know, we don't have anybody that lifts like you do on a regular basis. We wonder if you'd maybe, give our players some uh, pointers. Hmm. And I said, well, you don't have enough equipment. You know, you, you couldn't get probably four or five guys in there at one time if you wanted to. And they said, uh, Coach Osmer said, well, that wall on the west side could come down and there's a classroom there. You could have the room went from 416 square feet to 1344. So uh, a much larger space. I said, okay, we could do that, but it would, you wouldn't have enough equipment still. He said, well, could you make a list? I said, uh, yes. He said, how soon could you have that? I said, I'll bring it to you tomorrow. Great. So we shook hands. Everybody's happy. The next day I come and he's, uh, he's standing right by the secretary's desk and I have the sheet. He, he says, this is it, right? And I said, yeah. He hands it to the secretary and said, order this. And I said, coach, I forgot the second page. Oh. And he laughed. <laughs> he's, he, he's pretty sharp cookie. He goes, <laughs> okay. Okay. He said, bring me the second page tomorrow. <laughs> so I had only written down racks and the main basic things that we had to have a couple Olympic sets and squat rack and so forth, power rack. But I didn't put down any pulleys or, uh, a full set of dumbbells because I, I thought maybe they were going to be real selective on what they would spin. So the second day I bring him page two and he's, he happens to be in the same spot, but outside of this office uh, where the secretary was and Coach Devaney's office was in behind there. So I hand him page two. He goes, this is it now. Right. And I said, yeah, he handed it to the secretary to order this. <laughs> now he looked at me and he says, now we got to go in and see Bob. 
And I go, Bob? He goes, yeah, Bob Devaney, to get permission to do what we just did here. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, we both go into Bob Devaney's office, and here's Coach Devaney in this big red leather chair, the most powerful man in the state of Nebraska. And he goes, oh, hi, hi, Tom, what can I do for you? And and, uh, Tom says, uh, Coach, you know uh, Boyd Epley? Oh, yeah, pole vaulter. I've seen you in in the weight room. Yeah. He says, uh, what are you guys doing? Tom says, well, Boyd thinks we should have the football team lift weights. I mean, it just didn't sugarcoat it straight to the point. And Bob goes, uh, well, why would we want to do that? And I'm not sure what I said because by that point I was trembling, shaking. (laughs) Excellent. And because uh, I was just a junior pole vaulter. And um, so he said, my friend Duffy Doherty is uh, the head football coach at Michigan State. They don't lift weights. And he said, in fact, I don't know of any, any school that's lifting weights. Most people think it makes you muscle bound and slower. Mm-hmm. And so Again, I don't know what I said. It must have made sense to him because then he said, he said, well, we're going to give this a try because Tom thinks it's important. But if anyone gets slower, you're fired. <laughs> I remember what he said very well. <laughs> so, so we walked out of that room and I had an opportunity. And so I told Coach Osborne that we would have to uh, – we would have to set up a timing day where we could time the players and so that I could then retest them and show that they got faster, not slower, so that Coach Devaney would get on board with this and it would be something that would help him not be, you know, uh, a distraction or something that would cause them problems. But we didn't have a stopwatch. I had to go to the PE department and uh, borrow a stopwatch. And uh, I was in the physical education department anyway, and I knew the department chairman. And and so I started communicating with this uh, department chairman, and his name was Dr. Carl Weir. And he he had some good ideas. I asked him what other tests I should do besides the 40-yard dash. And he said, there's something out there called the jump reach. Some people call it a sergeant test. It's later been come to be known as the vertical jump. He says, I think that's a test you're probably going to want to include because it seems to be it's catching on as an important one. And so I tried to make a list of all these tests. I probably was doing 14 or 15 tests at the time because I didn't know any better, didn't know what would be important to us until later on when I had a university professor named Dr. Carl, Chris Eskridge, Dr. Chris Eskridge, and my assistant, Mike Arthur. We got together and tried to do a regression analysis on all the different tests and the different scores. And it took us uh, several years to then figure out three tests that you really need to be doing. And some of these other tests you could get rid of and you wouldn't need to waste your time because they don't identify talent for football like these three. So we ended up with a 10 or 40 yard dash, or you could do both if you wanted, but you'd only really only need to do one or the other. So if you can't run fast in 10 yards, you're not going to run fast in 40. <laughs> <laughs> so the 10-yard dash is really more important 
at that uh, first burst. The vertical jump is probably the number one test that a football player can do. Although there's one called horizontal jump that's very similar to it. And some people use it because it's quicker. You don't need a jump station. You can just jump and measure it yourself. Pretty easy to do. And then the pro agility run where you go five yards one way, come back 10 yards and back to the middle, five, 10, five, pro agility run. Those three tests are tests that if you're in a power sport like football, you better be testing. Okay. Okay. It's, it's just kind of amazing to, to learn all this. Like Nebraska is known as being on the cutting edge of Husker power and strength and conditioning and just knowing how humble its beginnings were and how kind of skeptical the head coach was a little bit. And it's just kind of, it's kind of surreal that it's, it's become such a, a staple of every single college football team, every program. And it just had these humble beginnings starting with a pole vaulter of all people. Yeah. Well, you think about the advantage I had as a pole vaulter, I, my steps from the pole vault pit were 120 feet. That's 40 yards. So I was running 40 yards multiple times a day in practice. And I was doing squats to improve my speed. Mm -hmm. And I had that figured out before I ever came to Nebraska. And so I was stronger than these big mammoth football players. We had no one on the football team when I had this conversation with Coach Devaney and Coach Osborne that could bench press 300 pounds, nobody. But yet I was um, much stronger than that and was doing 405 for two uh, right in that kind of era. Wow. And so I was, I, I was kind of the guy. And uh, we had a doctor that had told me I wasn't going to be able to pole vault as a senior because I'd hurt my back and he was afraid I would have, uh, you know, be paralyzed or something. So they redshirted me my senior year. And that allowed me then to spend a lot of time in the weight room and help the athletes. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was on scholarship, but um, as I ended that redshirt year, the doctor told me he wasn't going to approve me to pole vault anymore. So then I was free to, get paid and be the strength coach. And so I went back to the department chairman, Dr. Carl Weir. And uh, I said, these guys, I'm like basically maybe one year older than some of these players. And I hung around with them and had classes with them. And how am I going to get them to, you know, kind of snap to, and I tell them I, they've got to do something and they maybe don't want to do it. He said, well, you're part of this physical education department. I'll make you an instructor. So we're going to create a, a class. We actually created two classes and the football players could sign up for those classes. They would be required to attend uh, whatever number of days you wanted and they would get a grade. And if they didn't show up, they would get a poor grade that would affect their uh, grade average that would affect their eligibility. So there's a threat there that they have to attend and do what you tell them because you're the instructor. I said, great. So I ended up teaching those classes for like 17 years. The players would get credit, whether it was winter conditioning and eventually there was summer conditioning and they would get one hour credit for each of those. And there'd be like 180 players in the, in the class. <laughs> so it, 
it was a good relationship. And then plus Coast of Annie was, he started my salary at $2 an hour, uh, two hours a day. And that's how I started. Okay. And so you were the first full-time hired strength coach in the country. Is that correct? I was the highest paid strength coach in the country. Yes. All right. (laughs) $2 an hour. $2 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Which in context, it's probably more than it sounds like, right? I don't know. I don't know what that translates to nowadays. Minimum wage at the time was $1.65. Okay. So I was, I was paid (laughs) fine. And uh, one, do you know who Jerry Murtaugh is? He's a, yeah, my first yeah. first, uh, first All-American at linebacker. And we had Bob Newton was uh, also All-American that year. Jerry graduated there and he saw me in the weight room. He was getting ready to go play pro football. And he stopped by and he said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, how many hours are you getting paid? I said, two hours a day. And he said, you're here all day. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? And I said, Jerry, I have an opportunity here, an opportunity of a lifetime, and you don't see it, but I see it very clearly. I'm going to make this work, and it's not just going to be football. Eventually, we're going to have a program that impacts every athlete in every sport. And I didn't realize it was going to be in every country. (laughs) It's across the world. It is absolutely unbelievable. So in 1978, I decided to share the wealth, and I created the National Strength and Conditioning Association with 78 people came, and now we have certified over 60,000 strength coaches worldwide. Wow. So it's safe to say you've all that extra time that you weren't getting paid, you left your mark on the world, well, not just on the university, but. It's, it's kind of a kind of a trip for me to have experienced that yes yeah so with saying that obviously technology has changed over time can you talk about like the the lifts and how technology has played in olympic lifting and power and strength and husker power in general have you talked can you talk about like the difference between uh how it started and how it is now when i started there were already existing three sports it was powerlifting that it was kind of brand new and maybe in the mid 60s it got started as a sport powerlifting but i i knew that that wasn't quite right for football then there was olympic lifting that had been around for years and years um, and i knew that wasn't quite right and then there was bodybuilding which i definitely knew wasn't right but i i wasn't as familiar with any of them And so from 1970 to 1972, those three years, I competed in all three of those to learn what I could. I ended up being Mr. Nebraska all three years. I was the outstanding lifter in powerlifting and Olympic lifting in the Midwest, not just Nebraska. So I kind of dominated those. And then I retired from all of them because I wanted to focus on helping the athletes at Nebraska, even though I was at a point where I could have compete, kept competing for years, that wasn't what I was about. I was just there to learn. And so what we learned was the squat is probably the most important exercise an athlete can do. And it comes from powerlifting, but the deadlift in powerlifting is not what you want to do. In fact, Mike Arthur, who was my, uh, my fourth assistant and has 
been there ever since, and it's still there right now. He set the world record in the deadlift, and I kind of try to talk him out of that because it's not explosive. It's a slow movement where you pick up as much weight as you can. He, he did the 570 pounds, and he weighed 132, and he lifted it off the ground, and that is a slow movement, and everything's shaking and jerking, and there was there's no way that's going to be something that would help the athletes, uh, in my opinion. And the bench press, we... I made a mistake in, in making the bench press an important thing early on in my career. We had a bench press club. There wasn't any player that could do 300. John Pitts was the first player that could do 300 pounds. And um, so I, I created uh, school records in like 1971 or 72. And we would give a t-shirt if you bench press 300 pounds, but you had to do it perfect. And I had to watch it. So somebody would call me over. And if it wasn't perfect, didn't count. If it was perfect, I went and got a T-shirt for them, and they would walk around with a 300-pound club. And then there was a 325 club, and then a 350, and then a 375. And Larry Cooley was the first guy to bench press 400. Many years later, Lawrence Pete did 500. He was the first one to do that. But about, about that time, in evaluating all this all the time, we decided to bench press is the most overrated exercise there is because hmm. people with short arms are good at it. Mm -hmm. And in football, you want length. So if we were going to recruit a guy with length, why would we make a big deal out of a guy with uh, alligator arms that, that could bench press a lot? <laughs> we didn't want alligator arms. We wanted length. So we eliminated the bench press, which surprised a lot of people. What we ended up with is the squat and the hang clean. And that's where Scott Frost, remember earlier in our conversation, he was able to clean, hang clean 300 pounds for 10. That's almost unheard of for a quarterback. I don't know of any quarterback ever that had come close to that. That shows the explosive power that we're looking for in athletics. Mm -hmm. So the squat and the clean are the deal. And that's what our strength index is based on measuring those two lifts. And any improvement in those two lifts are going to have an improvement in your performance index that we talked about earlier. Okay. And I'll, one of the questions I was also going to ask you was, was there anything in your strength program that maybe you deemed outdated or something that you yes. knew wasn't as important and you brought up Brent, the bench press? So was, was there anything else maybe? Or It took us many years to realize the bench press wasn't uh, wasn't working for our our sports. I had a real problem uh, with distance running for football because a football play only lasts about three to five seconds. Right. And then and then there's about a 30 to 50 second rest period before the next play. And yet when I came to Nebraska, um, um, do you remember the name Cletus Fisher, who was in that first meeting? Well, Cletus asked me in 1968, before that meeting happened, he asked me if I would model for him to make a video to show the football players eight different stations that they were going to do. He had gone to Texas and visited a, bunch, visited a bunch of schools down there and came back with a new program because in 1965, 
Nebraska was averaging over 400 yards and played for the national championship against Arkansas. And, but then they started doing distance running. And in 66 and 67, they lost 15 or 20 pounds per person. And all of a sudden they couldn't run 300 yards. And so they got beat pretty bad by Oklahoma in 1968. What was it? 47 to nothing on national TV last game of the year. And, and so um, they had Coach Fisher try to create a new winter conditioning program that they'd never done before to get this thing turned around. Unfortunately, it was based on mostly endurance activities. And so while it had some good, it wasn't right. But he asked me to be the model. So he, they didn't have video back then. They had film. Mm -hmm. So he filmed me demonstrating how to do things and showed it to the team. And then they had this winter conditioning program. The only state, there were eight stations last five minutes. So some of the stations were five minutes of endurance, followed by another five minutes of endurance, followed by another five minutes of endurance. But there were a couple stations that were change of direction. And one was an axe handle drill. And they did that until the NC2 out, outlawed it because it was too dangerous and people were tearing their shoulders up. And it was kind of like a battle between two guys fighting each other with a stick. Very dangerous. But in, so in 1969, when they hired me, I didn't make a lot of changes that first year because I wanted to show the coaches that I could handle the job and run these eight stations and, and do it similar to what they thought it should be. But after that, I started making changes and eventually eliminated the distance running. Mm -hmm. And that's when we got powerful. Distance running does not match up to the sport of football at all. You need to have a burst. And when we did that, we became so powerful. We just dominated people. We ended up beating Oklahoma the next year, 44 to 14 on their field. And people started noticing us. And so we was manhandled people for the next few years. And um, we had the game of the century then in 70 and played LSU in the national championship game and Jerry Tagge crosses the goal line. We win that. Jeff Kinney crossed the goal line against Oklahoma, and we won that. Yeah. And we started when we were in our infant stages. We weren't where we needed to be yet, but we were starting to make sense out of it. I was, you know, in implementing this strength and conditioning program, you know, I was going to ask what other program matched up with you guys and you know i figured oklahoma would be your answer to that is there an an out of conference foe that maybe we don't think about too much that maybe was a a good matchup for nebraska like strength wise and kind of comparable in that way i think ucla was a pretty good team when we played them in those early years okay um, they were good um we never, in my 35 years, we, we never lost to Oklahoma State. Um, we very rarely, I think uh, we didn't lose to Kansas. We did in 68 before I started. And I don't think we did for the next 35 years I was a head coach. We lost to K-State once. Iowa State maybe two or three times. Missouri was tough. So we, we struggled with Missouri a bunch of times because they were real physical kids and um 
Colorado could rise up and, and be a pretty good team as well. Mm-hmm. But Texas, when we ended up finally having to play Texas on a regular basis, um, they, they were a, a formidable opponent. They were tough. They had talent. And um, now in the Big Ten, it's like playing Texas every week. Seriously. And I guess, you know, since you, you named all these big eight, big 12 teams, let's kind of just ask you kind of what, what you think about this whole conference realignment thing. Do you, you know, there's all these stories about how when Texas joined the big 12, you know, become the big 12, that a lot of the old big eight teams kind of went against Nebraska because we had beat up on them for so many years and, you know, here comes Texas and it looks like they're taking Texas aside with all these votes going against Nebraska. And so there's a lot of Nebraska fans right now saying, you know what, this is what it's come to. You guys went with Texas for all these years and now they, it's the scorpion biting the frog. So like, what's your thoughts on this whole conference realignment thing? Um, the, the old big eight teams, like what's their fate going to be, you know, just your thoughts on that. Well, I heard today that Michigan and Ohio State have been in discussions with the SEC. Yeah, we heard that too. Yeah. So that's a new twist that directly impacts the Big Ten. I don't know what will come of that. But let me back up to to when Texas was in a conversation and joining where we were going to join the Big 12 and, and be playing Texas on a regular basis. Uh, there was something that happened there you might not be aware of. Nebraska used to have uh, something called a Prop 48. Mm-hmm. That is where a high school kid that maybe didn't do well in their classroom in high school could come in for the first year and work with your academic program, get their grades in order, get up to where, up to snuff where they're supposed to be academically and be good to go then. Well, when we joined Texas, they eliminated Prop 48s, and they were in favor of junior colleges, so that if you didn't have your grades in Texas, you would go to a junior college. Well, Nebraska doesn't really have a junior college system to speak of. Mm -hmm. McCook used to have one. I don't know if they still do, but uh, that really impacted us. So if you go back in that era before we went with Texas, we had a lot of Prop 48 players on our team. Mm-hmm. And I, I know one, uh, Steve Manstead, was a guy that uh, ended up being my best man in my wedding. He had terrible grades in high school because he just didn't apply himself. But he was a great athlete, a really good shot putter, really powerful guy, had a great career with Nebraska after he got his grades in order. And so that really helped his life. But when they eliminated Prop 48s, you lost guys that we had a couple All-Americans that were Prop 48s, which means they didn't start off with good grades. Well, none of those kind of athletes ever attend Nebraska now because it's against uh, conference rules. That hurt us. That hurt us probably as much as you could find anything else that hurt us. So we would have to send a guy like Mike Rozier, who didn't have quite the grades he needed, to Coffeyville, Kansas. And others we had to send to Kansas to the junior college system and then bring them in. And I think that impacted us a lot more than people realize. Would you say that there's any current big 12 team 
that the Big Ten should call to join? Well, I think Iowa State is on the uprise. You look at the job that coach is doing there, they're, they're for real. I mean, they, they can challenge Oklahoma right now. Well, they, I mean, they beat Oklahoma. And, like, if, you know, a lot of people say we should give a call to Kansas because their basketball program is a very lucrative program. Their football, although they haven't been – they've had their little run with Mangino and Todd Reesing, they've been largely irrelevant. But they just hired – Lance Leipold. So maybe, maybe they can be a six, seven win team. I don't know. You even Iowa state people are saying, yeah, but is Matt Campbell going to be there much longer? Their program, even with him, isn't lucrative like a Kansas basketball. So these are all questions that maybe by the time this interview is over, we'll have more answers, <laughs> to. but who knows, man, yeah. well, it's just crazy. Well, I certainly don't have the answers or the knowledge to, to help make an intelligent decision there at all. <laughs> who, who does? Yeah. Seriously. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's shift to Nebraska. Now let's talk about the 2021 season is upon us. I don't know how much, how much you're still involved with the university at all uh, being retired, but let's talk about QB one, Adrian Martinez. He was in the news recently. Uh, Scott saying that he slimmed down a little bit. Can you talk about the importance of that, weight loss for a quarterback, you know, from a strength and conditioning perspective, can you talk about where that could help Nebraska in this type of offense that we run? Well, I think Adrian is a really good quarterback. And I think uh, rather than relying on his running, uh, we need to look at the three eyebacks that they're going to have to run the ball for him. Because if they are as good as we want them to be, Adrian won't have to worry about whether he's slim or running better or not, all you got to do is get the handoff. The other thing is if he has good enough receivers, all he has to do is get the ball in their hands. And um, I think he's a good enough thrower to do that. But I don't know that in the past three or four years, we've had a consistency in our receivers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we have some potential there. Certainly. certainly at tight end, but so we, we need to have the receiver step up and we need to have the eyebacks step up. And I think, I think we can in all those areas. The other area that gets a lot of uh, attention right now is special teams. And we've not been very good in the last three or four years in that area. And so everybody knows that I'm not giving you any new information here. There, uh, everybody knows the deal and, that can make an impact, uh, seven to maybe 14 points a game just there. Seems like every time you turn around, we'd have somebody run an 80-yard touchdown against us on special teams. We, we can't have that. Or a fake punt conversion where the punter's just running down the sidelines for 10 minutes without being touched. <laughs> it's like, come on. So I think Scott has made some steps there to prevent that. Uh, He's got that base covered, I believe. We'll, we'll see, of course, this fall. Okay. So I know we were talking about 2021, but just kind of big picture with the program. And all your time from, from 69, and I know till, until 2001, Nebraska won at least nine games a year, never lost more than four. 
the past 17 years, Nebraska has lost at least four. So you're, you're kind of seeing an evening of the playing field. If, if that's the way you want to put it, I mean, that's a very nice way to, of putting it, but in your eyes, can Nebraska ever rise up again to that elite level or should we be kind of content with having a ceiling of like a Wisconsin, a Northwestern and Iowa, where you might have the occasional 10 win season, have a couple big 10 title appearances, but then you, the next year you might win five or six games and just, you're going to have to be okay with that. Like, is that kind of our ceiling right now as a program? What do you think? Well, you're asking a guy that had uh, in 35 years, had 34, nine win seasons. One was seven wins. So I'm a guy that expects greatness out of that team. And I think Wisconsin and Iowa both are the type of programs that we need to be at that level. They're, they have respect. They're physical. They win. Uh, I don't know how many each year, but um, we are missing some some talent and I'm guessing that talent breeds more talent and some if someone makes an all-american status uh, maybe the guy next to him also makes all-american status because of the publicity that that guy got and and so when we don't have one we don't have a guy making all-american then the next guy over on either side of him isn't making all-american either so the press kind of plays into that because I, I don't think they watch every single play, every game on every team. There's no way they can. But what I'm getting at is during my 35 years, uh, I counted them up one day, and I think uh, I had 51 All-American linemen, people that play on the line, offense or defense. And, and, and that's in 35 years, 51. Since then, in the last 18 years, how many would you guess we've had that were all American? Sue for sure. Um, maybe quick. Sue. One. And Dominican Sue. Right. Wow. That's got to change, guys. That has got to change. We right. need to have the line on both sides of the ball in order for all of this to make sense. Just piggybacking off that, when Scott was asked, um, by a press member at Big Ten Media Days. What is the position that you're most excited about? He went out of his way, and he said the offensive line, and he said Husker power. He's, those words came out of his mouth. So, Well, that's why you, you heard earlier in this interview that I'm optimistic for both of those things because right. I'm hearing from Mike Arthur, who I trust and has worked with me for many, many years, and uh, – a tremendous assistant that doesn't get any credit. I got most of the credit for things that he did. Hmm. He's, he's excited about the offensive line. And evidently there's a, a player, I don't know the name, but he's six, nine and weighs 400 pounds. And you probably would be wise to find out who that is. Bryce Benart. Uh, yeah. Not, oh. <laughs> what? You're not going to say, <laughs> no, I don't know the name. Oh, I I don't know their names. I only know their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think, I think you're right. I think it is Bryce Benhart. Yeah. Um, There was like a picture of the offensive lineman and he towered over everybody. And it was, you saw the body and you're like, Holy, okay. 
that that's a big 10 lineman hopefully this right? is the way it's all going this direction the other yeah. thing that i'm encouraged with is in watching the spring game they didn't show much they're they're holding back their cards and you're gonna see you're gonna see what you want to see this year i believe okay i i i listen, like the optimism i i i would love ending on that positive note yeah 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 i think i think i think we've had i, I had a spectacular time listening to you talk i Absolutely. learned so much yeah huh. i mean listen boyd epley want, we want to thank you for joining the nbnr podcast and listen husker power is still make you're still making your mark scott frost mentioned it i mean you're you're still relevant around here despite your retirement and we want to thank you for your services with the university and again thank you for joining us thanks for having me we want to thank boyd epley once again for taking the time out to join the no block no rock podcast all his stories going back to the old days with devaney and osborne getting started with strength and conditioning i mean it was a delight yeah absolutely he remembered just down to like the exact numbers of everything from the the size of the room footage the- to, to how much somebody lifted so the guy was just an absolute joy and a legend in himself and just what a great thing it was getting, for us getting paid two dollars an hour for <laughs> dude can you imagine get paid two dollars an hour and he like you can't overstate like the impact that he's had and like he said on the world it wasn't just in nebraska i mean it was the whole country you got around the whole freaking world all freaking continents he's uh, known unbelievable basically. All right, guys, but anywhere you get your podcast, we're talking Apple, we're talking Spotify, go give us a five-star review, give us some listens and downloads. We need the support. We need it all from you guys. And the nbnrpodcast.com, that is our website. You will find the Up and In blog by Rob Morrissey. You can get his perspective. He's a former Nebraska pitcher. He talks about the new conference realignment he talks about trev alberts being hired as an ad so go check out that blog by rob morrissey called up and in i think you guys will really enjoy his perspective it kind of goes in line with our culture here at no block no rock and for those of you who didn't listen to last episode we are open for business if anybody wants to use us for advertising in any way shape or form you can reach out to us on our website or via twitter uh nbnrpodcast.com so uh hit us up Hit us up, and we want to thank you guys for listening. We're going to sign off now. This is one of your hosts, Jared Hall. And Mike Delaware. And as always, GBR. GBR.